Well, everything that we have done so far in today's worship service has served to prepare our hearts and our minds for the most sacred activity of all, and that is the preaching and the hearing of God's Word. Now, we've been learning over the last uh, few weeks that whenever we as God's people gather together to worship Him, that we should joyfully sing songs, which by the way, good hustle today. That was encouraging. I enjoyed singing and hearing your voices so loud and uh, thankful today. We need to humbly pray together. Uh, We've done that. We need to also regularly observe the ordinances, the Lord's Supper and um, baptism, which we do on a regular basis here. We need to also faithfully serve the body with our spiritual gift. I trust you've had an opportunity to serve today and to use the gift or gifts that God has blessed you with to build up this particular body that you, again, came to church not just to worship but to work. That's, a, I think, a biblical mindset when we get out of our car and head into the doors that we're coming to, to work, if you will. It's not just, uh, this is just not my work day, right? The joke is the pastor just has to work on Sunday. This is the day I work, right? And all you guys are you know, enjoying your weekend. No, no, we all come to church together. My job is to equip the saints for the work of service, right? So we're all coming today. This isn't your day off necessarily. Uh, You've come to work uh, here at church. And then I also hope that you have generously contributed to the advancement of God's kingdom through this particular local church, uh, as everyone who's involved in a local church should be giving an offering and bringing some financial uh, donation. Um, ultimately for the work of the Lord. And if you weren't here last Sunday and uh, you missed that message on giving, I want to encourage you to go online and listen to it uh, because it was a very timely message in light of where we're at financially as a church. Uh, We needed a a, a good shot in the arm, a good reminder to stir us up, to excel still more uh, in our uh, desire to give generously and joyfully and sacrificially to, to God's work here at Lakeside as so many people have since its very beginning. And so um, all that to say, these are all acts of worship that please God and bless us and convict those who don't know Christ. But nothing pleases God more, nothing blesses us more, and nothing convicts unbelievers more than the proclamation of God's word. I've referenced a book by Donald Whitney in this series a number of times. It's a book entitled Spiritual Disciplines Within the Church. In fact, it's one of the books we're highlighting this month in our resource center. And if you haven't picked up a copy of that book yet, I'd encourage you to do that. It's a very helpful resource. And basically what he does is he takes a chapter to discuss all of these things that we've been talking about, singing and praying and uh, taking uh, the ordinances and serving and giving. And he even has a chapter on listening. This um, last point of the six uh, sacred activities that we've been looking through uh, these last few weeks, uh, he has a chapter called Why Listen to Preaching in the Church. And I think what he says here is profound. Let me quote from Donald Whitney here. He said, reverently and responsively listening to God's word preached is one of the highest forms of honoring and worshiping God. 
We normally think of worship as something we do, and since preaching is done by the preacher and not us, many fail to think of preaching as worship. But listening to preaching is something you do, and it is an act of worship when you listen with an eager mind and responsive heart. The reason it is an act of worship is that you're listening to God speak through His Word. Now, I don't know if you have been in the mindset over the years is, you know what, I'm done worshiping, now I just get to kick back and listen. As if your work is done and now it's my job. No, we're all continuing to work together. In fact, I trust I'm worshiping the Lord by serving Him, by teaching God's Word, His Word. Hopefully you're worshiping the Lord by listening to Him speak to you as the Word is read and explained and applied, that you're worshiping right now by listening. That's an act of worship. Whitney goes on, he says, um, he quotes from J.I. Packer in a book called The The Preacher and Preaching, Reviving the Art in the 20th Century. He said this, this is J.I. Packer, quote, congregations never honor God more than by reverently listening to his word with a full purpose of praising and obeying him once they see what he has done and is doing and what they're called to do. What a great statement that we as a congregation never honor God more than when we're doing what we're doing right now. And not just listening, but as we're going to see in a moment, making mental note of the things that we need to change as a result of what we're hearing. Because listening doesn't involve just information going in. It involves information coming out. In other words, in the transformation of our lives. God never intended his word to simply inform us, but to reform us, to transform our lives. And so this is, again, a means to an end. Whitney goes on and quotes Martin Luther whose conviction uh, was this, and this is the great church reformer of the 1500s, 1500s, Martin Luther said this, quote, the highest worship of God is the preaching of the word. That's what Martin Luther believed, that the highest worship of God is the preaching of the word. And if that is true, and I believe it is, that this is the, the high point or the climax of any true worship service, any true worship experience is when God's people hear him speak to them through his word and then commit to obeying what they've heard. And so when we've come, when we come before God to worship him, he he not only wants to hear our voices as we sing and as we pray to him, but he wants us to hear his voice and heed his voice as his word is taught. You remember we looked at Ecclesiastes chapter 5, that great little section there from Solomon about going into the house of God. And the very first thing he says in Ecclesiastes 5.1 is, guard your steps as you go to the house of God and draw near to what? Remember? Listen. Draw near to listen. You have come to the house of God today, if you will, to, among all the other things that you've already done, you've come here first and foremost to listen to God's word, to be taught God's word, to learn God's word, to be instructed in God's word. And so hearing 
And not just hearing, but heeding the voice of God. So not just hearing the voice of God, but heeding the voice of God is a critical part of the kind of worship that is acceptable and pleasing to God. I've quoted a number of times from Psalm 95. Psalm 95, verse 6. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. And so here is a a clear context. The psalmist is calling us to come and worship and bow down and kneel before before God in worship. And then this is what he goes on to say. Today, if you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. There's an assumption here that when you come before the Lord in worship, that you've come there to hear his voice. And the worst thing you could do is to harden your heart. That little expression today, if you would hear his voice, literally the psalmist is saying, oh, that you would hear his voice. It's not like, oh, by the way, if you hear his voice, no, you're going to hear the voice of God. But oh, that you would hear his voice. And we've seen this in the past and in other sermons and other messages that that there's something you can't miss as you look at all that the Bible says about listening and hearing that there is this connection between hearing and heeding or hearing and obeying. In fact, the term hearing and obeying is synonymous in Scripture. In the Old Testament, the word for hear is shema. Uh, This is the same Hebrew word used for obey. So in other words, there's no separate word in the Hebrew language for obey. They're the same, hear and obey mean the same thing. They're interchangeable. In the New Testament, the Greek word for hear is akuo, and the word for obey is hupakuo, which literally means to hear under, to get under and, and listen. So so the word obey is a derivative of the word for hear. So the implication is, I think, that in God's mind, hearing and obeying are one and the same. You can't have one without the other. You can't walk out of here and they say, well, I heard, the, heard a sermon today and then forget it and never do anything about it. You haven't truly heard the sermon today. You haven't truly heard God's voice today. It involves not only taking in the message, receiving the message but then responding to it, being receptive in the sense that you go out and do something about it. And that is really the essence of worshiping God at the end of the day. It's living our entire lives in obedience to his word. That is worship. And so this is a a starting point. This is a launching point, if you will, for us to, to worship God throughout the week. And how do we do that? Well, we we begin by hearing the word of God. And again, the last thing that we should ever want to do is to harden our hearts to the word. That's what he says. If you, if you would hear his voice, oh, that you would hear his voice and don't harden your heart. That, that, that is one of the most frightening concepts in the Bible. This, this idea of hardening your heart. It's what happens when you hear the truth over and over and over again, but you refuse to obey it, you refuse to submit to it. 
In other words, God uh, convicts you about something, you hear something from his word, you're convicted uh, about what you're doing or what you're not doing, but you ignore it and you keep doing what you know you shouldn't be doing or you keep not doing what you know you should be doing. And eventually your heart becomes insensitive to God's voice, the sound of God's voice through his word. I was thinking about this mor- that this morning and how easy it is to do this in life. I was driving up here to church and I was uh, driving and uh, I hadn't put my seatbelt on. Shame on me, right, young people, those of you that are learning to drive. I, didn't, I hadn't put my seatbelt on. Why? Because I was buttoning up my cuffs and I was you know, driving and doing this so I didn't have time to put my seatbelt. Well, that little dinger thing was just going off. Ding, 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 ding. You've all heard that, right? And, and I think, I'm there convinced, I, I think you know, the newer the car is, the longer that sucker goes. I mean, they were just like, we are going to make this person go crazy or put a seatbelt. Put a seatbelt on or go crazy, either one, right? And so, but I was just trying to see if I could just kind of keep getting my cuffs going. And I was, I realized kind of halfway to church, I forgot the thing was even going off. And then I realized, oh, it's still dinging. I guess I should put my seatbelt on now. I got my cuffs buttoned. I should put my seatbelt on. But, but you can kind of tune that stuff out, can't you? And you can ignore it to the point where you don't even hear it. And it's one thing to say, well, I'm going to see how long I can drive without my seatbelt on and, and, and not let that annoying noise bother me. But that's another thing to say, I'm going to see how long I keep kind of sinning here without you know, hearing that voice, that ding of the word of God and see if I can just ignore that. And this is not just an Old Testament problem here. Do not harden your hearts. We looked at Hebrews chapter 3, verse uh, 7, in the context of encouraging one another. Why is it so important that we encourage one another, even as Jeanette was reminding the ladies this morning, why, why it's so important to be a part of the women's ministry and just be together on a regular basis to encourage? Well, because our hearts, too, can be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. In fact, Hebrews chapter 3, the author quotes Psalm 95. Today, if you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Verse 7, and then he says, verse 12, take care, brethren, there not be any of you in in you an, an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And again, this is something that all of us are susceptible to. Even the pastor, even the preacher, even the elders, even the the grow group leaders, even those that maybe you look up to and think, well, they don't struggle with this like I do. No, yeah, we do. And if we're not careful, at times our hearts can get hardened to God's word. We're not as open and receptive to it as we should be. And we learn very little and we change very little. And you may be in that rut right now where you feel like week after week you're listening to sermons, but if you're honest, they're really just kind of going in one ear and out the other. And they're not really penetrating your mind and piercing your heart and transforming your life. Uh, they taught us in seminary the most haunting question that should be in the back of your mind as you're preaching every sermon is, so what? 
So what? Here you are preaching this message, and, and, and so, the, so, so what? And that's essentially the question that everyone is out, out in the audience is asking, well, so what? How, what is this, how does this make a difference in my life? Well, guess what? That's the question you should ask after you hear any sermon, whether it's here on Sunday morning or maybe you've listened to it on an iPad or iPod or, or uh, I should say, what is those things, podcasts or on the radio as you're driving to, 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 to work and, and you hear the preaching of God's word. As soon as that radio show ends or that sermon's over, you should ask yourself, so what? How should my life be different as a result of what I just heard? And I would encourage you just to pick out one thing, just just one area, one simple way that I can change as an application of that truth, that biblical truth that I just heard. That's a the very healthy question. It's a very necessary question. So what? I think too many of us are like the people of Israel described by the Lord in uh, through the pen of the prophet Ezekiel. Um, Ezekiel chapter 33. I've pointed this out to you before, but I, it's just a fascinating passage to me. Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 30. Here is God speaking to the prophet Ezekiel. He says in Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 30, But as for you, son of man, your fellow citizens who talk about you by the walls and in the doorways of the houses, speak to one another, each to his brother, saying, Come now and hear what the message is which comes forth from the Lord. In other words, Ezekiel was the talk of the town. He was, the, he was God's mouthpiece. He was God's prophet. And everyone was talking about him and, oh, he's, he's going to deliver a message today and, and God's going to speak to us. And so let's come and hear what the message is which comes forth from the Lord. They, they saw past Ezekiel. They knew that he was just simply a mouthpiece for God. And so in one sense, these guys were more theologically astute about the dynamic of the prophet preacher role. They weren't just listening to Ezekiel. They were listening to the voice of God. I don't know that many Christians today think about that when they come to church. They just think they're listening to their pastor. But they're not actually listening to God. Verse 31, they come to you as people come and they sit before you as my people and hear your words, but they do not do them. Interesting, he, he says, well, they, they, they're actually sitting there, they're, they're there. In fact, they're excited to be there. They're clamoring to come, and they hear your words, but they don't do them. For they do the lustful desires expressed by their mouth, and their heart goes after their gain. In other words, they just continue to go on living just like they always have. Then they come to hear the message, and then they leave, and they keep living their sinful life just the way they always have. Verse 32, behold, you are to them like a sensual song by one who has a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument. In other words, they're fascinated by you. Apparently, Ezekiel was a very gifted, captivating orator. And so the Israelites flocked to hear him because they were intrigued, they were impressed 
by his sermons, but obviously they, they wanted to simply be entertained. That's the idea. You go, down, you go to a concert to hear somebody with a beautiful voice or, or somebody who plays well on an instrument. You go to be entertained. And so this was more for entertainment value for the Israelites, and we know that because they had no intention of ever putting into practice what they heard. And the fact that they weren't getting anything out of the sermon is obviously not Ezekiel's fault. He was doing his job, but they weren't doing their job. Now, we know that God is very concerned about how preachers preach. But, based on the sheer number of references in the Bible to hearing and listening, God is obviously not just as concerned, I would say even more concerned about how listeners listen. And this is, uh, as you know, something that we've talked about a lot here at Lakeside, and it's really one of the greatest oversights in the church today. Nobody's talking about this subject of listening. And if you go back into church history and study the Puritans, for example, I mean, these guys were, man, they were, they were rough on, on their, their congregants. I mean, you read some of the things that they would say. And, and they wanted to remind their people that, hey, listen, you're not just listening to me this morning, you're listening to the voice of God. And this sermon, if not applied, will be another stick to fuel your fire in hell. <laughs> they would say stuff like that. But they talked about this, this responsibility that the listener has in the preaching uh, dynamic. And, and, and rightly so, because almost every book of the Bible contains some reference to listening and obeying God's word. From cover to cover, uh, the, the scriptures are just jam-packed with its, this, this overwhelming mass of references to the vital necessity of hearing and obeying God's word. Whether it's through the, the poets and the prophets in the Old Testament, through Christ and the apostles in the New Testament, God commands us over and over and over and over and over again to hear and to heed what he has said. And not only does he command us, he threatens to punish us if we don't listen. And he also, the good news is, he promises to bless us when we do listen and obey. And I don't have the time this morning, nor the desire to back up a biblical dump truck on you, because we could be here for literally days, weeks, months, going through every verse in the scriptures. It'd be just like a big old dump truck, and just bury you guys with, with biblical texts. But suffice it to say, listening is a dominant theme of Scripture. It's one of the most dominant themes uh, in the Word of God. And so what I'd like to do this morning is just, just give you a, a, just a basic overview of what the Bible says regarding our fundamental duty to listen and obey His Word. Maybe you could uh, consider this a basic theology of listening or 
Maybe we could call it a biblical audiology. Are you familiar with that term? Audiology? Well, in, in case you're wondering, it's the science of hearing. That's, that's what they call audiology. It's the science of hearing that originated out of the need to address the hearing damage uh, done to numerous World War II veterans. And so audiologists specialize in diagnosing hearing problems and remedying them through hearing aids or implants or surgery. And so uh, as hopefully uh, a practicing audiologist, um, I think the church today has some very serious hearing problems. Most notably, this growing epidemic of the itching ear syndrome. You are familiar with 2 Timothy chapter 4, the classic text on preaching where Paul told Timothy, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who should judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. In other words, preaching is never out of season. Timothy, you need to be ready to preach the word at any moment. Why? Verse 3, for, this is the purpose clause, the reason why Timothy was to preach the word and why Paul was so passionate about him being ready at all times and and not just to passively teach it, but to reprove and rebuke and exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their what? Ears tickled. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. We are living in that day and age where people are surrounding themselves with preachers, with speakers, maybe you call them motivational speakers, who will tell them what they want to hear. And uh, this whole idea is basically they scratch people behind the ears. If you have a dog, you know how much your dog enjoys that, right? He, he just, you know, you start scratching behind the ears and, and, and next thing you know, you know, you stop and then he comes up and he bumps you again and he wants you to scratch him behind the ears some more and you keep doing all the next thing his foot's going like this and his tail's wagging and it, you just, it feels good. And that's the, the picture here is that, that people want to have their ears scratched because it feels good. They don't want to necessarily hear what they need to hear. They they want to hear what they want to hear. And I would say that's the pervasive problem in the church today. And by the way, many preachers are willing to um, give people what they want to hear. Uh, There's a supply and demand, right? If there's a great demand for that, well, if you want to have a big church, right, you supply that demand and... People will come in droves to listen to you and to get their ears scratched. Don't get me started. I'm thinking of stuff that I want to say, but I probably shouldn't, so I'm not going to. But the point is that this, 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 this goes much deeper than this, this itching ear. Where, where does this itching ear thing come from? I mean, we're talking about, okay, so there's the symptom. Uh, and, it, and it says they won't endure sound doctrine. That's why. Okay, so, so the issue is they, they want to hear what they want to hear. 
Why is that? Because they, they won't endure. They refuse to listen to sound doctrine. But it, it goes deeper than that. Well, what is the root issue? I mean, if we're trying to diagnose somebody's problem, right? It's like, it's one thing to say, well, yeah, I, I see the symptoms, but what's the root cause? Let's address that and hopefully bring some healing. Well, I believe the church today is, is in need of both theological and practical instruction in the area of listening. And you know, I've taught over the years a lot about this. In fact, years ago, back in 2007, 8, 9, I believe I did a 12-part series on listening. Can you imagine having to sit through that? 12 sermons on how to listen to a sermon? It's essentially what it was, which got turned into a dissertation, a 200-page dissertation, which got turned into this little book that we wrote together, Expository Listening, a handbook for hearing and doing God's Word. And and, and I woke up one day after I finished the D-Min and I realized, you know what? I didn't even realize that this has really kind of been the tenor of our ministry here at Lakeside Bible Church. And this is what we give all of our uh, new members. At, when, once they go through membership class, I say, here, this is our gift to you. And read this because this will help you understand who we are as a church and your role in this church. Um, by the way, this is not unique to me. This is not like I'm the first guy who ever thought about writing a book on listening, although there are a few. Uh, Jay Adams wrote a great book called A Consumer's Guide to Preaching, How to Get the Most Out of a Sermon. Um, cute little cover has this guy sitting in the front row with these huge oversized ears. It's kind of funny. But again, not even Jay Adams was original in this. And again, I mentioned the Puritans and Going back to that same age, one of the, the sweetest acquisitions I've ever um, made over the internet when it comes to purchasing old books, right? That's kind of pastors are geeky that, that way. We're kind of, you know, geek out on books and stuff like that. But as I was doing this uh, research on this subject of listening, uh, I came across this resource. Uh, it was referenced somewhere, this, this book, um, written back in 1824 by a guy named uh, Reverend Edward Bickersteth. And he was some assistant minister in, in the Great Britain. And the title of his book is The Christian Hearer, Designed to Show the Importance of Hearing the Word and to Assist Christians in Hearing with Profit. How cool is that? 1824 copy of a book essentially trying to accomplish the same thing with his congregation, trying to help them learn how to be good, good listeners. Well, again, it would take more time than we have this Sunday to, or really a year of Sundays for that matter, to, to walk through every verse. But um, again, when I started this process years ago, um, I asked Jason Drum, some of you guys remember Jason Drum, he's a kind of a computer guy, and so I said, hey, can you run a, do a software search for me. Um, and I asked him to print out every verse in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation that mentioned the word listen or hear or the word ears, ear or ears. And he came back and this was, again, I guess the, before that we were using these kind of things, what are those things called? Little data things, you know, the little thumb drives, you know? So he came back with like literal printouts and he came into my office and was like, Psh! on my desk, and it was like literally a stack of paper like this. 
And I was like, okay, I bit, way, I bit more than I could chew here. How am I going to get my mind around all this? I mean, just amazing amount of information. And I thought, well, I'm overwhelmed. And so I thought, well, what's, let, let's just kind of pull back up and kind of hit that little thing on the Google map, right, where you kind of go up, go up, go up, go up, higher and higher and higher and kind of get a big picture. And so what I determined to do was to just organize all the verses about listening and hearing under four categories, just to kind of, as, as some place to start. And one way I, I initially attempted to do it was the commands to listen and obey, and the threats to those who fail to listen to obey, and then the promises to those who are faithful to listen and obey, and then, fourthly, the examples of those who fail to listen and obey, and the examples of those who are faithful to listen and obey. That was one way I was trying to get my mind around it, but then I came up with what I think is an easier way to just summarize and, 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 and try to systematize all that the Bible teaches on this subject of listening, and that's to arrange it under four summary statements or theological truths. And if you want to try to write them down, you can. Yeah, I'll just read them for you and then we'll talk about them briefly. Number one, God has spoken and commands us to listen and obey what he has said. God has spoken and commands us to listen to and obey what he has said. That's the first summary statement. Number two, we all fail to listen and obey God and deserve to be punished by him. We all fail to listen to and obey God and deserve to be punished by him. Starting to sound like a gospel presentation. God, man, Jesus, you. Exactly. And the other method to my madness at the very beginning, I thought, is we need to share the gospel. We need to make sure people understand uh, what is the gospel because we can talk all day about listening and obeying, but if you don't know Jesus, it's going to go in one ear and out the other. And so we all fail to listen to and obey God and deserve to be punished. Number three, God grants us the ability to listen and obey him by his Holy Spirit, which we receive through faith in Jesus Christ. God grants us the ability to listen and obey him by, listen to him and obey him by his Holy Spirit, which we receive through faith in Jesus Christ. And then finally, number four, God promises to bless us both now and for all eternity when we listen to and obey him. God promises to bless us both now and for all eternity when we listen to and obey him. Now, as you're listening to those statements and maybe writing them down, hopefully you, you're noticing that they sound familiar. There's something familiar about these statements, not only because I'm mimicking our God, man, Jesus, you gospel presentation, that's obvious, but... but there's also something familiar, and, and that is that they relate to all the other key theological themes in what we call systematic theology. And you say, well, what is systematic theology? Well, it's an attempt to organize and summarize everything the Bible teaches on any given subject. And so you have things like 
theology proper, which is the study of God, and all the verses that talk about God, we'll put in that category. And then there's bibliology, all the verses about the Bible, we'll, put it, we'll call that bibliology. And then we have all the verses about man, we'll, we'll call that anthropology, and all the verses about sin, we'll call that hermardiology, and all the verses about salvation, we'll organize those and say that's soteriology, soteriology. and all the verses about the Holy Spirit, that's pneumatology, and all the verses about Christ, that's Christology, all the verses about the church in the Bible, we'll call that ecclesiology, and then all the verses about the future uh, times and end times, uh, we'll call that eschatology. And it's interesting, when you look at these statements, they relate to the key aspects of systematic theology. For example, God has spoken and commands us to listen and obey what he has said. Well, that relates to the nature of God and his word. That's theology proper. That's bibliology. And the second statement, we all fail to listen and obey God and deserve to be punished by him. That relates to the nature of man, anthropology, the nature of sin, homoarchology. The third statement, God grants us the ability to listen and obey him by his Holy Spirit, which we receive through faith in Jesus Christ. And so there you have a relationship to the nature of salvation and the Holy Spirit and to Jesus Christ. And, and, and then the last statement, God promises to bless us both now and for all eternity when we listen and obey him. That relates to our sanctification and to future things. All that to say that a, a theology of listening, a biblical audiology, if you, we want to call it that, intersects, intermingles with almost every other area of systematic theology. Why? Because we're just taking these principles from where? The Bible. And so that's why they're all mixed up, interconnected, and hard to see um, much difference with other things we normally talk about. And so let's just quickly look at these four summary statements or theological statements one at a time. And let me just unpack them, hopefully, briefly and and quickly this morning. Number one, God has spoken and commands us to listen to and obey what he has said. So God, the creator and the sustainer of the universe, wants to have a relationship with you. Do you realize that? He wants to have a relationship with you. And so in order for you to get to know him and what he has done and what you must do so that you can have a relationship with him, he took the initiative to reveal himself through the pages of scripture. And over a period of some 1,500 years, 1,400 BC to 90 AD, God chose approximately 40 men through whom he spoke. And under the Spirit's supervision, men like Job and Moses and Joshua and Nehemiah and Solomon and Isaiah and Daniel and Jesus and Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Apostle Paul, they all wrote down word for word everything God wanted us to know and to do. And that's what it says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, a great passage about the inspiration of of scripture, but know this first of all that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And so this process that God used to breathe out his word, Second Timothy three sixteen, for all scripture is inspired or breathed out by God. This process God used to breathe out 
His word to mankind is referred to as the verbal plenary inspiration of Scripture, which simply means that each and every word on every topic in the Bible is exactly what God wanted said. Each and every word on every topic in the Bible is exactly what God wanted said. In other words, the Bible is the very words of God and therefore absolutely true and reliable. They're they're inerrant and infallible. In other words, they're perfect. And we preached on Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11 in the past, where it talks about those statements about the Word of God. Ultimately, the Word of God is perfect and is able to accomplish anything it wants, anything God wants it to. And so since God has spoken and and his words have been accurately recorded and safely preserved in the pages of Scripture. By the way, that's another part of the doctrine of Scripture is, is not just the inspiration of Scripture, but the preservation of Scripture. If it was important enough for God to inspire his word initially, surely it was important enough for him to preserve his word throughout history so that people today could have a, a, a genuine, legitimate copy of his word in their hands that is trustworthy. And so because we, we, we know that God has spoken in his word and it's been accurately recorded and it's been safely preserved in this page of scripture, we can affirm the confident assertion of B.B. Warfield. B.B. Warfield made, wrote a classic book called The Inspiration and Authority of the Bible. And this is, you could summarize the whole thing in this, this one statement. He says, when the Bible speaks, God speaks, period. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. And so that also means when a preacher faithfully preaches the Bible, it is God speaking and not the preacher. Jeremiah 1.9, God promised Jeremiah. Jeremiah's like, hey, I'm young. I don't know what to say. I don't know. Do you want me to be a prophet? He says, listen, I will put my words in your mouth. My words in your mouth. Uh, I love 1 Thessalonians 2.13, where Paul was commending the church in Thessalonica for many things, but one of the things that stuck out to him is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, he says, for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. They got it. They understood that. 1 Peter four eleven, Peter said this about using your spiritual gifts. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. So not only are the people to perceive the voice of the pastor as the voice of God, but the preacher himself should realize that I am serving as God's mouthpiece here. This is a serious deal. We need to listen. And it's not just you listening. I need to listen to what I'm saying too. Because it's God speaking to all of us. Calvin said that preachers are the very mouthpieces of God. John Stott, a great preacher, just uh, the last decade or so passed away, but he said this, in true biblical preaching, the voice of the preacher is ultimately drowned out by the voice of God. How cool is that? Martin Lloyd-Jones commenting on what the Puritans believed and what they were convinced of 
regarding preaching. They said preaching, quote, preaching is the exposition of the word of God. He said someone so far say that in faithful exposition of the word, God himself is preaching and that if a man is giving a true exposition of scripture, God is speaking because it is God's word and not the word of men. And lest you think I'm trying to overstate my position or overstate my authority as the preacher, you know, this, this sounds good for the preacher, right? Hey, you need to listen to what I'm saying. I'm like, it's like God telling you this, right? It, it, this is not about like my conviction, okay? This was a conviction that God, of those that God called to preach back in Bible times. In the Old and New Testaments, oftentimes the first words out of the mouth of the prophet was what? Thus saith the Lord, or hear the word of the Lord. So I'm not just on my little high horse here at Lakeside Bible Church saying, hey, you guys need to listen to me because it's like I'm the voice of God. No, that's the way it's always been. And it was through these mouthpieces that God not only spoke to us, but also commanded us to listen and obey. And so from the first chapter in Genesis to the last chapter of Revelation, the Bible records what God has spoken. And everywhere in between, the Bible asserts the fact that it is the unchanging, life-giving word of God and that we would do well to listen to it. And so that's the first point there. God has spoken and commands us to listen to and obey what he has said. Now let's move on to, again, diagnosing the problem. Why is this such an issue? You say, okay, yeah, that seems so simple. Well, number two, we all fail to listen to and obey God and deserve to be punished by him. We all fail to listen to and obey God and deserve to be punished by him. Think about this with me for a moment. Beginning with the very first words God spoke to man, we fail to listen and obey him. I mean, the first words that came out of his mouth to a human being, Adam and Eve, they disobeyed. You know the story. God created Adam and Eve and put him in the garden and clearly told them what to do and what not to do. You can eat of all the, everything that's in the garden except for that one tree. Okay. We heard, we heard it. We heard the, the command. But along came Satan and bent the ear of Eve who chose to listen to what he said instead of what God had said. What did, she, what did Satan actually say? Did God say... Satan's first attack was against the word of God. Did God really say that? Did he really mean that? No, he didn't really mean that. This is what he really meant. And as you know, Adam and Eve's disobedience caused a separation in their relationship with God, and God cursed them and banished them from the garden. And so when you think about this, the original sin resulted from a failure to listen to and obey what God had said. And ever since then, every person has been corrupted by that sin. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. We're all born with a sinful nature. We're by nature objects of, of, of God's wrath. And sin has affected, among other things, our ability to hear. 
We are all by nature hearing impaired, spiritually speaking. And when you understand the doctrine of total depravity, or a better word might be inability, that really describes it even better, then that leads us to the conclusion that all of our faculties have been corrupted by sin from our ability to think and reason right down to our ability to listen and obey. And we could all be accurately diagnosed with a biblical case of attention deficit disorder. We all have it. Obviously, a biblical definition, what we're talking about this morning. And it's not just that we have a hard time paying attention to God. We don't want to pay attention to God, and we can't pay attention to God. According to Romans 8, verses 7 and 8, Romans 8, verse 7, the mindset in the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Have you noticed that your kids, if you've had kids or have kids, they don't naturally listen real well. I don't know, maybe your kids are different. But I I don't know about you, we had to teach our kids to pay attention and to do what they're told. Hey, I'm talking over here, eyes on me, right? Look at me when I'm talking to you, that kind of thing, right? They, They don't naturally do that. You have to teach them and train them how to do that. And I think one of the most basic effects of the fall is our inability to understand, let alone do, what God has said. We're we're all naturally antagonistic to God's word. We don't want anything to do with it. And even if we did, it's impossible for us to comprehend what God has said on our own. We're missing a key component. And we're going to talk about it here in the next point. And that is the indwelling, illuminating presence of the Spirit in our lives. Without Him, all we can do is pick up static. It's like uh, God's broadcasting on FM and we got an AM receiver and we're like, it's like we can't pick up anything that He's saying. And that's why the Bible and, and preaching don't make sense to unbelievers. It just confuses them, it bores them, it even angers them. And even those of us who are believers struggle with what one of my seminary professors used to call a harmatological hangover. In other words, that's the doctrine of sin, and we still got a sin hangover. We still, we still are living in this body of flesh that Paul says, who will deliver me from this body of flesh? I, that, that I keep doing things that I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I want to do, Right? I really came to church excited this morning, and I was excited to hear, and I got my Bible, and I, but I just keep doing this. I can't even keep my eyes open, or I'm just really distracted, or I'm thinking about what I'm going to do this afternoon, and like this body of flesh. And really, if you look at the Old Testament, just by way of example, it's just, it's a sad commentary on God's desire to be heard and the failure of his people to listen. Again, John Stott said, if you summarized the Old Testament history of Israel, you could say this. You could say that the epitaph engraved on the nation's tombstone was the Lord God spoke to his people, but they refused to listen. What caused the death of Israel or the, the uh, 
the putting off of Israel, what, what was that? Because they, God spoke to them and they refused to listen. And really the ultimate punishment for not listening to God is God not listening to us. There's all these verses that God threatens if we don't listen to him, then there may come a day when he'll no longer listen to us. And so we all fail to listen to and obey God and deserve to be punished by Him. Well, that's the bad news. Here's the good news. God grants us the ability to listen to Him and obey Him by His Holy Spirit, which we receive through faith in Jesus Christ. So we've already seen we're all horrible listeners who, as, the, as a result of the fall, have been rendered incapable of understanding and obeying what God has said in His Word. It's impossible for us to comprehend and to comply with God's word without the help of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.14 couldn't be clear, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. So the Spirit of God is integral to accepting and applying the word of God. That's why it's imperative that we understand the regenerating and illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. Because in order for us to be able to hear and to obey God's word, we must first be regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus likened this process of regeneration to being born again. Not physically, but spiritually. John chapter 3. And what we mean by that, being born again, is this supernatural act of the Spirit of God whereby He grants spiritual life to those who are dead in sin and transforms them into a totally new person. Ephesians chapter 2 is a great Um, description of that. And so, interesting, the tool that the Holy Spirit uses to bring spiritually dead people to life is what? His Word, the sword of the Spirit. And so a person is regenerated when the Holy Spirit convicts them of their sin and convinces them that they must be clothed in the righteousness of Christ in order to escape the coming judgment of God. And the moment a person is born again, the Holy Spirit gives them a new nature which is evident by the transformation that takes place in their lives. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. And one of the clearest evidences that you are a new creature in Christ, that you've been truly born again, is you love the Scriptures. You love the Word of God. Before the Spirit regenerated you, you were baffled. You were bored by the preaching of God's Word. Maybe frustrated by it. But now that you're saved, it, it all of a sudden makes sense to you and it becomes interesting and it begins to have a transforming effect on your life. And that's the coolest thing, by the way, for me as a pastor, is to see people's lives being transformed by the Word of God. I mean, that'll get me out of bed in the morning. Just to see your lives being changed and conformed more to the image of of Christ. It's a beautiful thing to watch, but, but it's not, I, I, don't, I don't cause that change. Our church doesn't cause that change. It's the Holy Spirit using the Word of God to create that change. But only, it's only until we've been regenerated by the Holy Spirit that we can benefit from the preaching of God's Word. And we need to go from being a natural man to a spiritual man, that is, someone in whom the Spirit dwells. And, and that takes place when we become a Christian. And I think this is so foundational because there are people attending churches all across this world who've gone to church their entire lives 
but still have little or no interest in the preaching of God's word, or they walk away every Sunday unchanged as a result of what they heard. Why is that? Well, could it possibly be that they've never been truly saved? They made some profession of faith in Christ, but they don't truly know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Listen, it's impossible to understand and apply God's word unless you have a genuine relationship with him through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. So knowing Jesus is, a, is, is the indispensable prerequisite for being able to receive and respond to what God has said in his word. And again, there's many verses that I could read here. How about the Apostle Paul? Said to the Thessalonians that the word of God performs its work in you who believe. You say, well, I don't feel like God's working in my life. I don't feel like I understand the scriptures. I don't get anything out of the sermons. Well, maybe it's because you don't believe. The writer of Hebrews said, for indeed we have had the good news preached to us just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 2. So in order to know God and his word, you need to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And so when the Holy Spirit regenerates us, he grants us the ability to repent of our sin and place our faith in Christ. He also grants us the ability to understand and obey God's word. And, and, and this, is, this is where it all kind of goes here. After regenerating us, he comes to indwell within us, take up residence within us. And it's his abiding presence, the, the Spirit's presence that causes, causes us to not only want to hear the truth of God's word, but also to be able to grasp it and do it. I told somebody recently, listen, I just want to be very clear with you and, and, and help you and encourage you that, that you're trying to figure out if you're saved or not saved. And, and I'm just saying, if you were truly saved, you would have a hunger for God's word. You have a desire to be in God's word. Now, granted, that hunger wanes at times as Christians. We don't always crave the scriptures like we should. But generally speaking, if you have no desire to be in the word and and, and, and no desire to pray, and no desire will be God, to be with God's people, guess what? You're not a bad person. It's that the Spirit of God is not in you, because if the Spirit of God was in you, He would be granting you those desires. That's what the Spirit does. And you can't take any credit that you love Christ, and you love the Scripture, you love church. That's the Spirit of God's work in your life. And when it comes to the Scriptures... The ongoing work of the Spirit in our lives is called illumination. Illumination, which is different than regeneration. Illumination is the ministry of the Holy Spirit whereby he enlightens the believer, enabling them to understand and apply the word to their life. You hear me pray that oftentimes, Lord, illuminate us, open up our eyes, that we might understand this text and that we might make application of this to our lives. Help us. We need your help. You wrote this. You know exactly what it means. Illuminate us. Help us understand what you meant by what you said here. And so follow me here because this is where it gets a little tricky. We can't hear and obey the word of God without the regenerating, illuminating ministry of the Holy Spirit. 
However, we don't receive the Holy Spirit until we receive Jesus Christ, and we can't receive Jesus Christ unless we receive the Word of God, and we won't receive the Word of God unless the Holy Spirit opens up our ears to hear. Are you confused yet? I think Paul unravels this mystery in Romans chapter 10. Very simply, he talks about how can a person believe unless they hear It says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? This is Romans 10, 14. How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. However, they did not all heed the good news. For as Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report. So faith, here it is. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So salvation comes as a result of hearing the word of Christ, literally the word concerning Christ, which is this thing right here. From cover to cover, this book is all about Jesus Christ. And so we can't receive the Holy Spirit until we receive Jesus Christ, and we can't receive Jesus Christ until we hear the word of God, and we can't hear the word of God until the Holy Spirit opens up our ears to hear. You're like, whoa, so what am I supposed to do? Well, God made your ears, and he opens and closes them as he pleases, and so therefore you should cry out to him to open your ears and help you to listen and obey his word. Isaiah chapter 50, Isaiah chapter 50, verses 4 and 5, this is a great prayer that all of us need to learn to pray. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. The Lord has opened my ear and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. That would be a simple little prayer you could pray when you're driving to church or you're walking into church, Lord, would you open up my ears to hear so that I will obey? And then lastly, and, and just it speaks for itself, number four, God promises to bless us both now and for all eternity if we listen to and obey him. God promises to bless us both now and for all eternity if we listen to and obey him. And again, we could stay here all day and, and list Promise after promise after promise after promise after promise. Like Luke eleven twenty eight, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. Whenever I sign a copy of, of this and give it to somebody, I put that little reference, Luke eleven twenty eight. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. How about Revelation 1.3? Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it for the time is near. That kind of brings us to eternity, doesn't it? Book of Revelation here, we're talking about Jesus coming back. So our hearing and our heeding affects not just life here on earth, but our eternity. Exactly. That our very life and eternal destiny hinges on whether or not we hear and heed God's word. I mean, that's what it's going to come down to. 
Who goes to heaven and who goes to hell? What did you do with God's word? Did you hear what God's word said and did you heed what God's word said or did you blow it off? Are you saying I need to believe the Bible to be saved? What about Jesus? Well, the Bible's all about Jesus. That's the point. What do you do with everything the Bible says about Jesus? Did you, do you hear it? Do you heed it? Or you just kind of ignore it, blow it off? See, how we respond to what God has said in his, in his word is, is what ultimately determines the kind of life we have right now here on earth. You want to have a blessed life or a cursed life? Well, it's very simple. If you want a blessed life, it doesn't mean everything's going to go perfectly for you, but it, you're going to know that you are pleasing to the Lord and his blessing is upon you. Well, hear his word and obey his word. How about where you spend eternity? Listen to listening to and obeying God is the key to experiencing an abundant life here and now, and spending eternity with him in heaven. And not listening to him and not obeying him results in having to live life without his help and hope and then being separated from him forever in hell. That doesn't sound so fun, does it? I mean, not only do you spend eternity in hell, but even right now you're living without any help and any, any hope apart from the scriptures. The Puritan Jeremiah Burroughs said to his congregation one Sunday, quote, your souls and eternal states lie upon the ministry of the word. If that is made effectual to you, you are saved. If it is not made effectual to you, you are damned and undone forever. I told you the Puritans did mess when it came with this subject of listening and how important it is. And so there you have four summary statements, four basic truths that it's the very nature of God to speak. It's the very nature of man to not listen and obey. But the Spirit of God and the Son of God combine forces, making it possible for us to listen and obey God. And God promises to bless those who do and curse those who don't. And this is really a theological foundation of listening on which everything else that we can talk about in regards to listening, practically speaking, is built. You may be walking away saying, well, that was just a big old theological, he said he wasn't going to do a dump truck, but he did anyway. Well, hopefully this will save the day, okay? And this is a little handout. I didn't give you the normal outline and uh, application questions, I decided just to give you this, which is a little something that I put together a few years ago. In fact, it's the appendix in this book. So if you have this book, you can use this for something else, give it away. But if you already have this book, it's about to be listening. It's just, it's the appendix. And, and, and I thought, well, how, how should we end this thing? And we'll try to just make it simple. Just a quick reference guide for listeners. And, and, and what this is is just some practical suggestions for you and your family regarding your responsibility as a listener 
that will help you get the most out of the sermons you hear. And there's just three steps here. It's the anticipation step, which is what you do before you come to church to hear the word preached. And there's the attention step. What do you do while the word is being preached? And then finally, there's the application step is what do you do after the word is preached? And the number one practical application there is join a grow group. That was a commercial. Join a grow group that focuses on sermon application where you get to basically do group meditation and group... That sounded weird, didn't it? Group meditation? Not that kind of group meditation. Group meditation, meditating on the scriptures together and group application. And, and forcing yourself to answer the question, so what? And hearing how other people are answering that question, so what? Well, oh, that's good. I didn't think about that. I need to, that should, I should, I need to do that too. I never thought about that, right? So it's group application. And so hopefully this will be an encouragement. I want to encourage you to take this home and read through it and maybe fold it in half and put it in the front of your Bible as something that maybe you could use to review on Sunday mornings or Saturday night before coming to church um, just to get your heart ready so that your, your heart is well cultivated. All those, that fallow ground is those chunks are all broken up and that, that when you come, your heart is that good soil that Jesus talked about in the parable of the soils where the seed hits and it just produces tons of fruit. 30, 60, 100 fold. You want that kind of fruit in your life? Then this is some of the stuff you need to understand and put into practice. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for just bringing us to this subject as a church, and we've been over it many times in the past, and I pray that this was uh, still fresh and, and uh, just an opportunity to stir us up by way of reminder just to excel still more at this, at this responsibility that we have every time we sit under the teaching of your word to, to listen well. And Lord, we, we have not been trained well in the church today to listen well. And I just ask that you would use this, this message today and also this little handout, Lord, just to help us to, to honor you and honor your word as we reverently listen to it and we obediently put it into practice for your honor and your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.